Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today, I have the pleasure of having Mark Geller on as my guest. Mark is a pioneer of the, uh, the EV space, and he's been driving electric cars since 2001. So that's not 2011, that's not 2021, but 2001. Co a co-founder of Plug in America, and member of its board of directors since its creation, a co-founder of the Golden Gate Electric Vehicle Association, and also involved as a spokesperson for Electric Vehicle Association, which was Electric Auto Association. And he's involved there since 2013. And also vice president of Adopt-A-Charger, a, Charger, a uh, organization that is near and dear to my heart. So, uh, Thank you and welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me, Stuart. I mean, I'm really happy to be having this conversation with you. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of my, just personally, some of the, the most fun that I have, uh, I had Ed Begley Jr. on here talking about his first electric cars. I mean, and it was like mind-blowing, you know. Um, I really enjoy because, you know, I think I got on pretty early, but compared to a lot, a lot of people, um, nope. So, I mean, I guess start at the beginning. What what got you interested in electric cars? And obviously, you're really deep into this. Sure. So. Well, uh, I, as you said, I got my first electric car in 2001. But the the story, the Genesis story, is uh, I had been driving uh, Citroen station wagons, and I don't know how many of your listeners will know what a Citroen is, but it's a it was a pretty odd duck in the automotive world a French vehicle uh, that looked unlike any others and whose sort of mechanicals were different from, from all other cars. Um, I got it because I thought it was a super cool, beautiful car. Um, and I had a series of old uh, Citroëns that I bought. And then around 2000, I realized my last one was not only probably dying, but was also trying to kill me. I mean, the, uh, <laughs> the pollution was just coming into the cabin. And when I would take long drives, I was like, oh, this cannot be. I am really kind of an eco-criminal here. Uh, and I kind of the back of my mind, being a Californian now, um, and have been for 30 or 40 years, I remembered that a thing such as electric cars existed in California, though I don't recall ever really having seen one. Uh, and so uh, I started to pursue the question of could I get an electric car? Because that seemed an interesting enough car for me to have as my post-Citroen vehicle. And I proceeded because the internet had come to exist and you could do research online and you could meet people who were involved in the space, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could get myself an electric car and was beating my head against the wall because there were just, by 2000, uh, it was almost a done deal. I mean, it was, it was the writing was on the wall that the state of California was giving up on its zero emission vehicle mandate. The car companies continued to oppose uh, expanding electric vehicle programs. They were just uh, naysayers from the get-go, even as they were compelled to build some pretty great cars. But I also found the people who were driving those cars. And the folks who were driving those cars loved them. So whether it was an EV1 or an EV Plus from Honda or a RAV4 EV from Toyota, the, the people who had them loved them. And so I got the opportunity 
um, because of the Electric Vehicle Association to go to meetings and meet these folks who were driving these cars. Um, and then in 2001, um, after having uh, tried to get a car, really pursuing it, I mean, contacting all of these car companies, and uh, I even got to take a test drive in an EV1 at one point, and as I was driving, the uh, the woman, sort of Chelsea's equivalent up here in uh, Northern California, Chelsea Sexton, um, I'm driving, and I'm not a race car driver type, you know, I don't challenge the car, but she was like, step on it, see what this car can do, enjoy it, because you are not going to get one. And I was like, okay, very clear. Um, and then in 2001, suddenly on my computer screen appeared the Think City, which was one of Ford's uh, electric vehicles. I don't know if they hadn't produced enough electric vehicles to meet the quota in California or what, but suddenly there was this other car becoming available. And uh, I signed up for it with the local dealer, told them, hey, you're supposed to be carrying this, and um, pestered them weekly until finally the car showed up and it was, you know, the smallest and least of the electric cars that were on offer during those five or seven years that electric cars existed in California between about 1997 and 2003. Um, uh, I got one. It had a 53-mile range. It was not a particularly zippy car. I mean, it was zippy right off the line, but then it kind of petered out. But it was a series of epiphanies that I was having as I was driving that car that made me realize that this was, this was the future. This was, uh, while the, the California Air Resources Board sat around and debated with itself as to whether it was going to be natural gas cars or, 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 uh, uh, biodiesel cars, or, or who knows what was going to supplant uh, the, the tragedy of gasoline and diesel, uh, to me it became very clear it was electric. From that, what, what other vehicles have you had? And, and why did you switch from one vehicle to the other? Well, the first car was this 2001 Ford Think City, which, like anyone who had a vehicle at that time, it was taken away from me. Uh, the cars were all um, unceremoniously... Uh, taken away. You were not allowed to buy the car. It was a lease without right of purchase, which is what existed for 95% of the vehicles that were on offer because of the California Zero Emission Vehicle Mandate. So when that time came in uh, 2004, I had started looking into what could I get because I really did not want to go back to a gasoline vehicle. And I knew people who were getting biodiesel cars or natural gas vehicles, neither of which seemed particularly attractive and were also difficult to get. But there was this odd quirk that had happened, which was Toyota, for reasons that aren't yet completely clear, did sell a few of their really fantastic RAV4 EVs. This is the 2002 and 2003 RAV4 EV, of which they made about 1,500, um, and they had sold some of them. And so I found a guy in California who had purchased one. I think he worked for the Air Resources Board, and he, he was selling it, I think perhaps because he could make a pretty significant profit on it, um, and uh, got that car in 2004. So I, I purchased a used 2002 RAV4 EV, which had at that point 15,000 miles on it or something, and I have been driving it ever since. I still have the car, and it's still going strong on the original battery. Instead of 115 miles range, it's got about an 80-mile range, 75, 80 miles, um, but it's a fantastic car. Um, and so just to do my car history, 
Um, then in 2011, when the Leaf came out, I, I bought a Leaf. And uh, in 2017, I, having grown a little tired, a little weary of the fact that I could not really go more than 150, 100, 200 miles away if I lugged my charging station with me for the RAV4 EV, which was no small feat. That thing weighs 75 pounds. Um, uh, I bought a used Tesla Model S. And so I bought a used Tesla Model, a 2013 Tesla Model S uh, that had about 35,000 miles on it. And I still have that car today and have driven three times across the country. How have things changed from those early years? I mean, that's a huge question because things have changed tremendously. I mean, did you ever think at any point back then that we would be where we are right now? Well, yes. And in fact, I, I, I strongly feel it also should have happened more quickly. You know, I live in San Francisco. So at this right. point, it, you know, I, when I look out my window, you know, every third or fourth car is an electric car. Uh, there are more Teslas than you can shake a stick at. It's just become pretty normal. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I don't know, 20% of maybe more of cars being, uh, sold in California are, are electric. I mean, it's, it's, it's me, it's totally happening. Um, uh, did I think it, it would ever reach this point? Yes, because I thought it was so obvious that this was what needed to happen. And, uh, the car companies themselves had proven <laughs> that the cars could be made. Now, it was not economic to make a, uh, an electric car on some level in 2001. Um, the car companies don't like being compelled to do anything, right? You have to remember, they fought seatbelts. You know, they fought catalytic converters. You know, they would fight anything. They just don't want to make changes. They want to do it at their own speed. Um, what was clear to me was that the Air Resources Board was correct in 1990 when they first saw the... GM, what became the EV1, which was called the Impact, terrible name for a car. Um, but it was clear that they were right, that this could happen, and that it just needed a push, and that, you know, economies of scale uh, would change everything in terms of the cost uh, and energy density of batteries, for example. And one, you know, I mean, basically, once computerization happened in the 90s, this was all very doable. So, you know, the way I feel about it is the car companies did what was logical for them, which was put up barriers and say, no, 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 you can't do this. But, you know, that's what they perceive their job to be. Um, the Air Resources Board, which had taken a bold step in the 90s to push this stuff forward, really uh, gave in to the automakers and the oil companies and other powerful interests in the state of California at a point where they could have found a very smart way to move this forward. Um, and we lost a decade, to be honest, um, unnecessarily. Uh, and General Motors, uh, for example, they could have owned this space. <laughs> you know, they produced a great car. Uh, Toyota uh, could, have, could, have, could have owned this space. And instead, they all gave it up. Uh, and and Tesla uh, did what Tesla did. Uh, and I think we all owe Tesla a big uh, thanks because they proved this was, was going to happen. And, and uh, you know, all the other the legacy car makers are eating Tesla's dust at this point. Well, they also pushed the rest of the car industry into something um, almost kicking and screaming, 
but uh, they didn't have a choice at that point um, because of what Tesla was doing. Well, perhaps, yes. I mean, and, and the writing was on the wall and, you know, countries like China were pushing it forward in various ways for all kinds of reasons. And, and we needed something like transportation is, you know, 40, 50 percent of, of the, the toxics in the air. Uh, it had to ha- it had to change. And the dilly dallying um, of, uh, to be honest, the agencies in California, the Air Resources Board primarily, and the mainstream environmental organizations who likewise through the 2000s um, just thought we don't know what the best way forward is for clean transportation. And, uh, you know, there was a point at which, okay, it was an open-ended question, but it became obvious to me and to the folks who were driving electric cars um, that uh, this was the proper road forward for a number of reasons, including the fact that the energy that you put into the car can be uh, zero emission itself. So, uh, you know, uh, biodiesel, natural gas, uh, hydrogen even, um, you know, they're they're all dirty, really, in comparison to putting uh, renewable energy into into a battery and even dirty electricity into a battery is cleaner than any of those things. So the, the, the pathway became very clear. Yeah, um, you know, and, and you mentioned that, that you have a Tesla, that you've taken several trips, um, and I've taken a trip in a Tesla. It's, it's relatively easy uh, to do. Um, I would say that some of the other vehicles, I, I now have a Chevy Bolt uh, that I just purchased, uh, Bolt EV. And uh, I'm going to be taking a trip to Connecticut uh, next month, and I think it's going to go fine. But, uh, you know, I will see. And and you do kind of read these stories, and, you know, a lot of these stories are the worst-case scenario stories, and um, some of them could even probably be considered propaganda. But um, I kind of wanted to get an idea of what your thought was, uh, you know, what your role is at Adopt-A-Charger, I think, first, um, and, and a little bit about Adopt-A-Charger. And then also um, where you think we are as a nation right now in regard to EV infrastructure. Are we there yet? You know? Well, it's a critical question. Obviously, the infrastructure question is, is central. It's not just about building the cars. It's about energizing them, charging them up. And uh, my, you know, what's, what's fantastic about electric cars is that there are a multiplicity of ways to charge them. Um, you can charge them really slow and you can charge them pretty quick um, and everything in between. And that means that people have options and that's always a good thing, right? With a gas or a diesel car, you have no options. You go to the gas station, you give the man the money and uh, then he'll let you on your way. Uh, here, you can plug in the car at home. Now, for the half of the United States or more that uh, lives in a single-family residence or something close to that, and they have a parking space, a garage, a carport, you know, right by their home, um, and that has electricity, you know, it's got a light in it or something. Maybe it's got an outlet so you can, uh, I don't know, run an electric, you know, charge an electric lawnmower or something. Um, uh, it's This is easy as could be, and I think we haven't really... Um, spoken as much as we ought to, and certainly the car makers, who were never that enthusiastic, did not make clear to America that this was 
like for most people, you can go in. If you, if you want to buy a, a new or used electric vehicle, um, or plug-in hybrid for that matter, but, um, you know, I think that they were very fearful that folks were going to find this a big challenge, that they were going to be concerned in lots of ways about how an electric car works and whether it would work well for them. And they wanted to kind of meet their fears slash create fears <laughs> um, going into the project, as opposed to saying what I would have done, which was I would have just said, you know, you've got an electricity. In, if you've got electricity in your garage or where you park your car, the car comes with a charger. Like, plug it in and see if that's adequate for you. Um, whereas the car makers and, and some of the advocates, you know, sort of from the governmental point of view, were like, oh, you know, we've got to make sure they can charge it up so that they could go the full range of the car, which at that point was, you know, 80 miles or something. Um, and, uh, you know, level one is too slow. And, uh, you know, I, I just think there are an awful lot of people that have found out when they buy a car, they go plug it in at level one. And it's like they use the car for what they used the car for. And most people use the car to drive to school or church or, or, or you know, work. And, you know, the average, we know what the average, you know, daily use of a car is. And it's about 38 miles, which means, you know, at the outset, double it. And at least today, that's not half of the mileage of a car. So even plugged in at 120 volts at level one, you know, you're getting on the 8, 10, 12 hour uh, overnight stay, you're getting 40, 50, 60 miles range. And that's adequate for a lot of people. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't get a level two charger and a lot of people want it. But the notion that we'd better make sure anyone who gets a car has a level two charger in their garage to start with was just telling those people, oh, you thought the car was expensive? Now you got to spend another couple thousand dollars. <laughs> and I just don't think that was a helpful way to, to go about the project. But this was a long-winded way of saying, I think we haven't emphasized slow power enough. We haven't emphasized how easy this is for most people and how you can find, get a car. And if you have access to power at home, find out very quickly what it is that you actually need so you have the adequate charging for your needs. Now, there's the other half or 40% of America which does not live in a single-family home and does not have instantly accessible electricity on their own electric meter and bill at utility rates. And that, for me, is the major challenge at the moment, um, that uh, if you were to uh, ask maybe the people in the, in the Department of the Environment or uh, the Department of Transportation what the major challenge is, they're likely to say, and actually if you ask people who don't have an electric car, what the major challenge is. They say, I need to see a lot more charging stations. We need fast chargers on all the highways. And basically, that question, which is less than 10% of the charging in the real world, is, consumes 90% of the conversation and, 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 and maybe 90% of the funding at this point. And that is unfortunate, because really what we need to do is make sure that everyone in America, as quickly as possible, has the experience that someone with a single-family home has, which is the availability, when you want it, of electricity at utility rates. Because that's, that's the name of the game. And it's the name of the game for two reasons. One, equity. It's just, it is wrong. It is unjust 
to say folks who live in multifamily homes, um, whether they're lower income or higher income, um, won't have access at affordable rates, uh, utility rates to electricity. That is unfair. Um, and likewise, you know, whether you care about fairness or not, and I do, but the project, uh, the importance of the electrification of transportation project, um, you know, for reasons of climate change, air pollution, all the reasons that this matters and that everyone's finally gotten on board, which is really nice to see, that project cannot be successful if everyone can't do it. And so for, for my money, what that means is we need to invest in making sure that um, power, some power, it doesn't have to be tons of power, but power is available to everyone at the place, preferably where they live, um, where the car sits for a long time. Yeah, and, and I kind of think that, well, there's a lot to unpack there. So a, a, a good friend of mine, I remember something he said is like, you know, because a lot of people will say, oh, but where are you going to charge it? You know, that's that's like one of the first things a lot of people will say. And it's like his response is power is everywhere. You know, electrical outlets are literally everywhere um and and that that can start a conversation what you said was very interesting and i actually haven't really heard it stated that way before is that when you go to a gas station they don't give you a choice of you know slow medium or high speed of filling up uh, but electric cars do do just that you you can charge an electric vehicle extremely slowly or or medium or fast, um, which is kind of interesting as compared to that gasoline model, you know. And then the last thing that, you know, I was, we were talking about equity and and what if, you know, you don't have a garage or a carport or a even a driveway and we're talking about people in apartments and condos and people in houses that don't that can only have off street you know on street parking and i know i believe there was a a pilot program in i think it was berkeley where they allowed folks to run an extension cord to their vehicle and we've globbed onto that here in Louisville, and um, hopefully soon it's been dragging on a little bit. But uh, we have District Nine there. We're talking with them, and we're changing language so that folks can do just that. They can run a 110 cord. It has to be 110, ADA compliant cover over the mm -hmm. sidewalk, and you'll be able to charge your electric car and. And I know at least, you know, one person that um, he has a very nice home in, in that district. It's a historic district. Um, so that's the reason why a lot of these houses are like this. And that, you know, he he's an environmental writer. So he has a Prius. Uh, I think he would love to get a car with a plug, uh, whether it's plug-in hybrid or, or straight, you know, pure electric. But that's been a barrier. And once this thing is written into law, then that barrier goes away. And then the other, you know, challenge is, is letting people know, marketing it, you know, um, that, that this is an option for them. So, Well, I think that's a, that, that is, you know, we're going to have to be creative about this because the, 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 the built infrastructure is, is not prepared for what is needed now by uh, our new electrified mobile in, uh, uh, infrastructure. And so that kind of solution, which, you know, flies in the face of what, you know, 
building codes and and uh, uh, building departments have wanted to do, and you know they've focused on that as a uh, as a tripping hazard or whatever. And we need to obviously mitigate that. We need to accommodate uh, people with disabilities, and uh, but we we can't slow the project. We have to be creative. Um, down the road, you know, hopefully we will be building buildings. Um, in the same way that now buildings are built that are accessible, in the same way we will build buildings where electricity is accept, uh, accessible to cars and hopefully accessible uh, to cars on a unit's electric meter. Right. Um, it is, you know, the way we are set up today, um, in most cases when a, uh apartment building gets some charging, the people in that apartment building are going to pay more than you pay at your house or I pay at my house because we just, you know, you toast your bagel at the same rate you charge your car. Right. Um, that is not true if there's a third-party provider in between you and the electric utility. And uh, so we're going to have to we're going to have to meet these challenges, but we need to be clear on what the goal is. Um, and you know, for me, the goal is you know, accessible, affordable. Uh, and for me, affordable, the, what is affordable is, is clear. It's the rate we pay for electricity, for everything else. I mean, we are in this odd circumstance, and we need to understand that probably a profound mistake was made. The original sin of electric car charging is, was the decision made, um, and I think it's applied in every state now, um, that electricity for cars is not going to be regulated outside of the home environment, you know, and outside of the environment where you're charging right on your, right on a meter, right? Um, so it was considered necessary to do public charging. They figured, you know, if, if we're going to, if we want companies to sell power, make power available to people in public, you can't, they, you can't compel them to pay what, to charge what they pay, right? There's no business right. there. Uh, and we needed, you know, I mean, I look at this and I think that's obviously true, but the answer should not have been, uh, let's figure out how to charge people more money for a for the, the electricity. We know we need to move this project forward. And this for the simple reason, if no other, that um, if the cost of electricity gets close enough to gasoline, folks are just not going to get an electric car. I mean, they're going to go, I, I understand how this gas car works. Tell me it saves me money. I'll at least give it a second look. But tell me it's just going to be more inconvenient, which a, a case can easily be made that that's so. Um, and they'll just go, keep in my gas car and get in another one. So th these are the challenges. Kind of going down that, you know, convenience um, thread, is there a certain number of chargers that you think are needed, uh, perhaps the type of chargers that are needed um, for it to kind of tip the scales? And should people be worried about charging? You know, I mean, I think back in the day, you'd hear the term range anxiety a lot more than you do today. But there are folks that, again, I, I think if you have a Tesla, um, and once you take a trip or two, you know, all that range anxiety just kind of melts away because the the infrastructure is very robust. But for all the other car manufacturers, uh, it, it's a little different because uh, the infrastructure is getting better, but it's not quite there yet. And it's more complicated. Yeah, well, I think the notion that was quickly 
uh, early, very early set that we're going to come up with a mathematical figure that tells us how many charging stations, by which they actually meant public charging stations, we will need um, uh, based on the number of cars. And there are oodles of graphs that oodles of, of you know, uh, in, environmental specialists and consultancies and universities came up with. And I think it was, it was you know, a wasted effort because I don't think that it was asking the right question. There is no number, uh, you know, there's a number of gas stations you might need based on the number of, of, of uh, even though even that has radically changed. There are many fewer gas stations now than there were before. But there just is not a number. And I think that that gave people the false sense that let's, and, and it also misapplied public funding. So public and, and utility funding went to funding uh, public charging when I would make the case that while we needed some support for public charging and continue to in some cases, it needed a, a deeper understanding and the money really, a significant amount of money needed to go to make power available to people in apartment buildings and, uh, and, and condos. And, you know, I think it's complicated. I don't want to suggest that it isn't complicated, but hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars have already been spent on public charging infrastructure, much of which is not that often used because as people find out when they get an electric car and most people who get an electric car have access to power at home or at work, um, they don't use that public charging infrastructure um, until the point that maybe they go on a longer distance trip. And I can assure you there's a, a lot of people who get an electric car, they, already, they still have a gas car. And if they're going to grandma's and she lives 200 miles away, they are not going on an adventure with an electric car, even if it could be made, uh, bar, uh, aside from Tesla people who have come to understand it's really you just tell the car what you want to do and it does it. Um, uh, you know, so I, I think a disservice to the project was done by uh, suggesting that, uh, you know, we have an inadequate number of, of, of public charging stations, you know, and people stop using them for two reasons. One is it's much more convenient to charge at home. And two, you find out that when you plug in at, uh, you know, your local shopping mall, which is 25 miles from your house, and you really don't need to charge, um, costs two or three times what it costs you at home. And so it's exciting the first time you walk, you go there and you plug in your car and you go, look at me, I'm plugging my car in at the shopping mall. But it's like, you know, I paid $2.50 for how many miles, right. you know? And so that I just think there's sort of um, some baseline thinking with an understanding of how electric cars work and how consumers will use them that was lacking because most of the people who were involved in this project for the first 10 years, they wrote the rules, they signed the checks, but they didn't drive electric cars. Yeah. And unfortunately, they didn't pay as much attention to that relatively small group of people who, who had the experience and were actually, actually you know, offering it up. Right. <laughs> they, they knew who we were, but, you know, they weren't so happy about us kind of trying to tell them what to do. Because they're the experts. Because they're the experts. <laughs> They've got diplomas on That's the wall. Right. And, uh, you know, so, yeah. you know, or, or also, you know, the, the charging companies who have, you know, they have, a, they have the responsibility of, uh, of corporations in, uh, in uh, 
you know, of capitalism, which is you, you have one job, it's to make money. So you want to set the table so that your business model has the greatest chance of success. I don't begrudge them that. I just think that, you know, we have come to understand over the last hundred years that you need uh, consumer and consumer input and you need consumer protection. Right. And uh, what might be good for one of those companies' business model uh, might be making sure that people at apartment buildings have to use their services. And like from where I sit, my job is to make sure they don't need their services. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, this might be a good segue. I mean, adopt a charger and, and what that mo sure. what that model is and yeah. what, what adopt a charger is trying to achieve. Well, adopt a charger is great. Kitty Adams um, uh, is has been fantastic. Now, she, of course, like me, drove an electric car before electric cars were available, um, so to speak. Um, she also drove a RAV4 EV for a while. And, um, you know, back in the day, charging in California, uh, which had been uh, provided for by the state in public for the folks who were driving electric cars, the state made an investment. Costco, for example, many, many Costco's had public charging. Um, and I would uh, use their public charging. And, and it was it was free. I mean, they installed the chargers and it was just an electrical connection. And I think they all realized the electricity remains the cheapest part of the equation. The cost of the electricity, it's just it's the only place you can kind of charge people. So um, uh, that electricity was free. And I think that uh, made clear to Kitty and myself and, and, and many other people who were involved in this early that um, what we need to do for a while is provide electricity. And probably... Uh, you know, it wouldn't have created an industry. You wouldn't have had electric vehicle service providers trading on the on the NASDAQ. But what you would perhaps have is a lot more charging. Um, the, the government and the utilities would not have spent any more money to give away power. In fact, it would be much cheaper to to do because the, the equipment could be much simpler. The electric connection is not what fails in charging people's cars. What fails in public is the, the complex communications and monetization schemes that then prevent people from utilizing a charger. And so in a charger, uh, if you can't make the connection, it's it has nothing to do with whether there's electricity there. And in fact, the electric vehicle service providers will tell you that that charger that just prevented you from charging that charger works. That's a live charger because they know that the electrical connections all work. It's just that their communications and other verification systems and whatnot have, have gone on the fritz or the Wi-Fi isn't working. You know, like the, 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 the insistence that public charging be networked. Anyway, so Adopt-A-Charger decided we should see a lot of free charging in public. Like what we early adopters back in the day had, which was access to power in public, um, uh, should be was like a, a really smart thing to do for a while. Um, whether it should be forever, I don't know. But you know, no one has a crystal ball, and we don't really know what things are going to look like. I can say that you know, for example, charging companies, you know, they've each been through a series of business models. So their own expectation about how they would function has changed over the short time that this project has been happening, you know, over 10 or 12 years. So Adopt-A-Charger decided free access to public charging in places people want to go 
is what you need. And so let's do sponsored charging. Let's because um, someone's got to pay to put the equipment in. And the equipment, even if you use relatively inexpensive, non-networked, unsophisticated charging stations like, you know, Clipper Creek from back in the day, Clipper Creek, which is the is actually the oldest existing charging company. It had a different name, but my first charger was made by the company that was the predecessor to Clipper Creek. You know, put them in places. So, you know, the idea was get sponsors to do it. And and I, I to be honest, I think we all thought getting sponsors would be a little easier than it's been. It still costs money to trench and put in a, even a cheap charger. Uh, and then someone's got to pay that ongoing electric bill, which if you have a free charger and it's in a fairly populated area or a popular location, you can run up some charges. I mean, no matter how cheap electricity is as part of the equation, you know, you keep that thing charging cars all day, uh, particularly if you do it at six or seven kilowatts, that runs into serious money very quickly. And you've got the problem, if you offer free charging in public, that people, you know, everyone loves a bargain, right? I clip coupons <laughs> or, you know, the equivalent of clipping coupons. My parents clip coupons long past the time when they didn't need to clip coupons. Um, but, uh, you know, so so as I have said at EV conferences when I was supporting the notion that level one was a good idea um, and that we should seriously consider the benefits of free charging. You know, people love free stuff, let's say. (laughs) Uh, I usually don't say it that way, but people love free stuff. And um, if people love free stuff, let's give them free stuff in the service of, uh, of promoting electric cars. It might not create an industry to charge cars in public, but that's, that's a challenging industry anyway. I dare say no charging company is making money charging cars. Well, and, and you know, um, also when, when these fee-free chargers are put in, if they're put in at a coffee house, yeah, the, the owner of the coffee house might be, you know, spending a little bit of money on charging that car. But they're going to be getting a coffee, overpriced coffee, most likely, and, and a scone and, you know, Lord knows whatever else, you know, and this person's going to be doing their work there or whatever. And same thing if you're, you know, going, that's it, a different thing, but it's similar. If you're going to a natural area, you're you're doing what they want you to do there. You know, you're, you're taking advantage of nature and, and you're having your moment and you're also doing something good for the environment. So it, it's a nice natural pairing. Um, I, I find I'm, I get a lot of a decent amount of calls from tourist uh, departments, you know, um, because they look at something like this as a, a feature, you know. Absolutely. I mean, and let's be. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be clear. I mean, at least one and I think a few other companies have decided this is a logical business model for a company, which is if you can put advertising on the charging station, then let's get get your money from advertising and let people charge for free. And there's a company, Volta Charging, um, recently sold, I think, to Shell, perhaps, or some other company. But their model was was simply we're going to put we're going to put in simple charging. You can just use it. And if it's free, you know, there's nothing that says you have to give people seven kilowatts. <laughs> like you could give people three kilowatts. Right. It's still free. No one's going to go, oh, I'm not charging now because I'm only getting half the power I thought I was going to get, and, and, and thus cut in half what, what it could possibly cost 
the coffee shop owner or the shopping mall um, owner. So I think it's a it's a it's a, it's a great model, and certainly for places like uh, parks and and things like that, um, it, it it draws people in. Uh, I think that I, I always wanted to find out from Costco. I, they never did the the the, the test, though. So I think you could do it now with stores that have Volta charging, which is. Measure the average amount of time someone spends in a store, just a regular customer who parks. And then measure the amount of time and the dollars, I guess, someone spends who's plugged into a free charging station. And I dare say a certain percentage of people are going to go, you know, I'm going to stay a little while longer. I'm getting some free charge here. And they end up buying a candy bar, and that paid for the charging (laughs) from the point of view of the people paying the electric bill. Right. Well, and we've had like one of our, you know, most popular locations here in Louisville is a YMCA. And uh, we've been told people have actually joined the YMCA because of it, because uh, of their sustainability efforts, you know. So you shouldn't discount things like that as well. Um, It's kind of has this kind of whole halo around it. Um, you know, you were talking a little bit about, and I think this is really important, the equity part, uh, condos, apartments. Um, do you, what, what do you think as far as a timeline? I mean, it, you know, you were saying, in, in, you know, California, where, where you are, every third or fourth car is an electric car. I could tell you for sure that's not the same here. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes it's easy, you know, you see progress and see, now you see multiple electric cars every day. You know, when I started the EV group here eight plus years ago, I'd be happy if I saw another electric car within a month, you know. So I'm not saying there's no (laughs) progress, but you look in a parking lot and it's just, you know, internal combustion vehicles wall to wall. Um, And then you have this pretty big challenge with, you know, people that can't charge at home. Um, And that is a very serious roadblock for them. So, I mean, what are your thoughts as far as how that roadblock will go away? And and what is the time frame? How how long will it take until we get more people on board that, that need to be on board? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I mean, the, the first thing is, you know, you, 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 you support what's easy, you know, and like if what you've got is and I don't know, in, in Louisville, I suspect in Kentucky, it's many more than 50% of the population lives in single-family homes. Um, and actually, you know, they've, if they, they should understand they've got a charging right. station. Uh, and, and, and making that clear to folks um, and, and overcoming the um, really dumb political uh, barriers that exist, the fact that at, at some point, I mean, and it really started with <laughs> Dick Cheney in 2000, the Republican Party decided... You know, the kinds of people who are interested in solar panels or electric cars are not our people. And they have stoked a ridiculous kind of anti-EV culture war that uh, that does a disservice to themselves, right? Like, like uh, you know, uh, to the extent that solar power means that over time you have, uh, you know, freedom from the, the, the some freedom from the power company and, uh, you know, which should appeal to a libertarian, I would think, uh, and uh, lower costs because you're providing some of your own power. I mean, that just is, I don't, I don't care what your politics are, that makes sense. And an electric car that you can charge at a third of the cost of a gas car in your own garage, 
um, uh, and not give money to, I don't know, pick your enemy, Saudi Arabia, ExxonMobil. Uh, you know, that should be something that whether you're uh, on the left or on the right, a Republican, a Democrat, or, or don't care about politics, these things should not be an issue, but it became an issue. Like, we have learned in this country, unfortunately, over the last 15 or 20 or 40 years, how to stoke resentment and unnecessary anger. Um, and so electric cars uh, bear some of the, the brunt. Um, one of the odd... <laughs> Uh, uh, side benefits, perhaps, of Elon Musk becoming uh, such a nutball and uh, sympathizer with kind of, uh, you know, Fox News and, and all that stuff that I don't understand. But at least it means that some of those people who are thinking Elon Musk is now, you know, uh, their cheerleader or on their side, which may or may not be true. I don't know. He's a really enigmatic character. Um, at least they're not going to go, oh, electric cars are just for, you know, liberal gay Californians or something, right? It's like um, they're going to go, maybe I should show that I support Elon Musk and I'll go buy a Tesla. So maybe uh, that will have the positive impact of, of at least broadening the appeal and, 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 and ending the, the silly partisanship that uh, accrued to electric vehicles unnecessarily. But, you know, to solve the, the, the multifamily housing issue is a real serious challenge. I just think that, you know, to some extent, there's been a misappropriation of funding. I mean, you're not in a criminal sense, but the folks who make policy and pull triggers on funding needed to say, we got to solve this problem. And we can't just solve this problem by putting two charge point chargers in a parking garage and saying, fight for it you know, as you as more and more people get electric cars and and suck it up that you're paying two or three times what your neighbor who has a single family home pays and make the project doing this in an equitable and fair way. And over time, it will work. There is no doubt that, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the people who get electric cars today are people who have access to power at home like that makes sense. Um, uh, and we should fix that problem, but we shouldn't stop trying to get those people to realize that they've already got the charging station, they've already got a place to plug in their car, and they will be extremely happy once they do. Um, you know, it's people don't go back. You know, very few people go back from an electric Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I guess um, a little bit about, like, we're talking about anti-EV sentiment, you know, and... Yeah. Um, I assume when internal combustion vehicles came out, there was anti-gas and diesel uh, sentiment. We people wanted their horse, their horses, you know. Um, but eventually, that went away. Um, it just right now, in this moment in time, it just seems like there's so much of that anti-EV stuff out there. There's a lot of you know uh, propaganda, misinformation, and it it ends up eating a lot of time. Uh, and I, I've talked about this before, even from, you know, I was at a um, ride and drive tabling event and another person at a table, I started talking to her and she has a Prius. So someone eco-minded, they even were buying into a lot of this, like, oh, you know, the, they're going to end up in the landfill, these batteries. And you know, the Prius is more eco-friendly than an electric car. So it, it really is almost like you have to, 
have all this knowledge in order to battle this, you know, um, which is difficult. And then um, I find it interesting and sad in a way. Um, not only are we, you know, talking about anti-EV sentiment uh, in general, but there seems to be a, a percentage of that that's happening kind of infighting. And I'll, I'll use a couple examples of that. I know there's a uh, Facebook group, Tesla Divas, that started up because they were getting all this mansplaining and stuff was happening in the regular Tesla. And I, I'm not making a blanket statement because I know some women that have Teslas and they feel like they're being treated well on the local Tesla groups and, and everybody's playing nice, you know. But for a group to actually have to start a, you know, uh, if you identify as a woman, you could be part of this group. Um, for them to make that step, to me, says, well, there's a problem. There's a problem within the community. Um, and that was a few years back. Um, more recently, I think it was last month, a uh, podcast I really like, Transport Evolved, um, they cut comments from... No, I love Nikki. Yeah. I mean, and I think that she's got, uh, you know, her podcast is, her YouTube channel is really, uh, in terms of the information provided and the uh, and objectivity about what she's seeing, is the best of the bunch. Like, she is, she's a, she's a fan, she's a fangirl for, for EVs, yeah. but, but not for Tesla, and she's, nor is she, uh, uh, she's critical when she feels she needs to be critical, um, and she clearly needs to be critical of, of Elon Musk at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, she doesn't let that leak into her reporting. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, many of the YouTube channels that are devoted to EVs um, aren't as, you know, sort of devoted to, to uh, first principles of reporting and, and uh, being uh, fair and honest about stuff, and some of them just... Are, are you know fan boys and fan girls perhaps of a particular make or whatever i i, I think transport evolved is, is great back before transport evolved existed um i uh, she was doing a uh when she was still in england doing a uh sort of have, have a weekly or monthly conversation with people involved in evs and i was used to be on that show occasionally um, but I, I do want to say one thing, which is that, you know, when you're asking and, and, and sort of bemoaning the fact that this could take longer than it needs to uh, for all kinds of reasons, including uh, uh, misinformation and disinformation, which, you know, we have to expect, like the oil companies are going to do disinformation, tobacco companies did disinformation, uh, car makers want this project, even if they've come to accept that it's happening, to happen at their, on their right. schedule, not on... Yours or mine, certainly, but I take heart in um, in the fact that uh, I'm old enough to remember when, like, you know, my, my point here is uh, everyone very soon will know someone with an EV, and so like there was a point 30 years ago when people didn't think they knew a gay person, and uh, you know. Numbers, 70, 80 percent of Americans, you know, just you know, certainly they weren't in favor of, of letting gay people get married. Um, they might not even you know, be in favor of letting gay people be teachers or, or you know, I mean, uh, it's just not that long ago. But what happened was because of, you know, a, a movement, et cetera, 
um, you know, people came out and they uh, and people suddenly were like, oh, my God, I can't believe Aunt Mary is a lesbian, you know. And so, like, everyone realized they knew someone. It didn't, you know, it takes time to change your kind of gut feelings about this sort of stuff. But, like, coming out as an EV driver, like, like you know, you, you can't hide it. Like, if you're driving an electric car, you're driving an electric car, and your neighbor, you know, sees you. And is at some point, no matter what their politics or, or, or whose disinformation they've swallowed, and the person says, you know, I haven't been to a gas station I don't pay for tune-ups. I haven't had to have my car smog-checked. And they can be the kind of person who goes, I don't care about the environment. I don't believe any of that stuff. Global warming is a whole hooey. But you know what? I'm saving 200 bucks a month. Right. And I go faster than the guy in the Corvette. Right. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. And that you can't, you know, that, so, you know, that, that stuff is just reality. And reality um, will catch up. It catches up too slowly, and it's unpleasant to go through this stuff. But um, hopefully we'll come out on the other side fast enough. Yeah, we, so you're like hitting a tipping point. And uh, I mean, we were on a trip yesterday, and we stopped at a rest stop. Um, and we got back in the car and started pulling out and because it's a newer EV that the Bolt EV that I have, it makes that low speed sound. And there was this whole family that was like looking at the car and you could kind of see the wheels turning. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just that it's seeing those kinds of things around you, you know? Yeah. Even better if you know people and they can actually, or you have some time in a parking lot and you could strike up a conversation. Um, but uh, it's 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 nice to see that we've we've come this this far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, um, I think that's I think that is what's happening. And and certainly, I was prepared, particularly when I took my first cross country drive in 2017, and uh, we were going to see my parents in New York. And but you know you have to go through a chunk of America that I don't spend that much time in. Like uh, I I. Uh, I, I must say, back in the day when I first got into EVs, I, I loved the thing about EVs because I, I realized that it could or should bring me into contact with and um, sort of communion with people who were very different from myself in terms of their politics and whatnot. Um, because it was clear to me back in, say, 2001, 2002, that, you know, a, a foreign control of oil sources was a very big deal and that there were you know, once 9-11 happened, that they were clear foreign policy implications to um, having to being dependent upon um, folks who weren't thrilled about America, um, but having to buy their oil like that to me was a was entree into um, to the to, to conservatives or the right or whatever people for whom that was a, a major concern. Um, you know, it didn't it didn't somehow it didn't work out that the right understood as clearly as the left and the, the left hasn't been so clear about this either. Um, uh, what the benefits of electrification were and why we should do that stuff as, as quickly as possible. It's taken a while for everyone to understand it. As I said, for years, I was fighting with uh, national environmental organizations who were, you know, now they're all on board with electric cars, but uh, it took a while, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I mean, this has been great. I, I, you know, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that I haven't asked or that you, something additional that you want to talk about? Not really. We covered the items that are pretty dear to my Good. heart at the moment, which is, you know, really, you know, includes making sure everyone can do this and, and, and understanding that, uh, you know, electricity is pretty cheap. And if you can buy it at the utility rates, you're in really good shape and should be thinking about doing it now. And we should make that possible for everybody. That's what I've been working on uh, a lot uh, for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I've, I've uh, spent time talking with other people who've been on your podcast, Rap Hankins in, in particular, yeah. um, who's really a great guy. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're moving this all forward. And, uh, you know, once you get it, people in, in Ohio uh, singing into the same hymn book, you're, you're doing pretty good. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time with this. And it's, it's, it's really course. been a pleasure to, to chat for a little while. Likewise. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.